0: Well, what a difference a week makes, right? In Topeka weather. Last week we were, uh, having Ice Maghedeon, the storm that never happened. And, uh, this week we can, uh, tan, I guess. So it's really great to have you here. Thanks for, uh, making time to come with your church family and worship. Uh, the reason we're here is because of Jesus. None of us are here because we have earned or deserved this. None of us are living so exceptionally that God says, boy, you don't need Jesus. Thanks for coming. No, we are here because we all share that need for the person and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And uh, we're looking at the greatest story, actually greatest sermon ever preached in the history of preaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. I invite you to open up your Bibles, to get into God's Word with me as we look at and listen to what God has for us today. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, we have one in the back. There's two areas there that have Bibles. If you don't have one, go and get one. You can have that. If you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. But if you do have a Bible at home, just lay it there so we can give it to someone else on your way out one of the key pictures of uh, of life now that a society looks at is how is identity formed and uh, a lot of a lot of effort e- even in our lives is focused on who we are and living in our identity and there's a lot of different philosophies on how identity is formed Some people think that you earn your identity, you work hard, you get the job, you get the salary, therefore your identity, I am, and that kind of, you just fill in based on your accomplishments, your success, your victories, your position, your income, or lack thereof it. Other people think that you can choose your identity based on your interests or your lifestyle or your heroes or the causes you want to pour your life into. Some say that your environment forms your identity. So your family background, your upbringing, your peer group, your wealth, or lack there of it, your friends. All these kind of inform our perception of who we think we are, but really a follower of Jesus comes to Jesus and allows him to give us an identity. Did you realize that? So it's not self-formed it's not even formed by the world around you your identity is given to you by your creator it's really who god says who you are that's most important and for you to walk with jesus with freedom with joy with peace we have to listen to the voice of jesus we have to listen to who he says we are and jesus told us who he was right In the book of John, there's several I am statements that John is very intentional about sharing with us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the vine. You are the branches. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And it goes on. But did you realize he also gave his followers an identity? Early on this Sermon of the Mount, he he gives us a picture of how he sees us. He crafts us an identity. And before we think that we can be you know, pushed into an identity or conformed by the identity the world gives us, or even the thought of who we think we are, we're called to be transformed to the identity of Christ. Now, as we take this adventure, I just want to warn you, this is going to fly right in the face of popular thoughts about how identity is formed. It's going to fly right in the face and will confront a culture around us because our culture around us uh, prides itself with two major statements. One is, is I can be whoever I want to be, right? We do that as parents sometimes. We go climb every mountain and we build this vision of just think it, just work hard, just strive and you can be whoever you want to be. And then here's another one. It usually hits us around adolescence. Some of us have two-year-olds like this. I can do whatever I want to do, right? No one will tell me what to do. No one will tell me who I am. I am the shaper of my dreams. I am the center of the universe, if we're honest, And what it comes down to is that a follower of Jesus gives up our right. We give up our right to be whoever we want to be and do whatever we want to do. Why? Because we have to, right? If Jesus is going to form us into a new creation, we have to turn away from who we want to be and what we want to do to something better than we could ever form any ever craft for ourselves. We have to turn from our own way to follow the way of life that Jesus gives us. So we have to fight that temptation to be whoever we want to be and do whatever we want to do so that Jesus can form in us a new creation. And the identity we're going to look at today are twofold. And it has to do with the identity of salt and light, truth and love. And let's take a look at them. The first one is in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 13. Let's read it. It says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, in the ancient world, let me just explain this. More than taste, salt was used to prevent decay. You know, before there was refrigeration... Uh, people would put salt on fish, or if you were a butcher, you'd put salt on meat so that it would prevent decay, and so ultimately... Um If salt was diluted or mixed with water or with sand or with dirt, it lost its preservative value. When it was diluted, it was no longer good for anything. And they did what we do. They took anything that couldn't be used or that even, in their case, if they put salt on plants, it would kill the plant. So they would throw it out into the streets. We still do that. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning trash, I put my garbage out on the street thankfully someone picks mine up <laughs> in third world cultures and i've walked in those environments in a slum in india people just throw out everything they can't use in their house right on the the streets and you're dodging what they throw out crazy stuff but it's stuff that no longer can be used and what jesus is saying is you're not useless you have purpose and the purpose is my identity for you you are salt you prevent decay in every relationship, every environment, you prevent moral decay, spiritual decay when you're in a place. So we're called as followers of Jesus to preserve the truth in a decaying world. We have been given the truth of God. And for, a, to be effective, a Christian must retain their Christ likeness. The salt must retain saltiness, right? And if Christians become contaminated by this world, they will lose the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. And the influence of Jesus in our culture is not an influence that just copies our culture or, or that's identical to the culture. There's a difference. And I know there's a push in many churches to be relevant. We've got to be relevant to reach more people. But really, it comes down to the truth never changes. Truth never changes. We can't change the truth. We have to change. And the the mark of a wise person is that their life has a pattern of change to reflect the truth of Jesus. Wisdom is not being perfect. Wisdom is seeing the light of truth, the salt of who God is, the truth of who he is, and changing to reflect that truth. And so this requires three things from us. If we really are salt, and you are, you are, you are salt, you're truth, you're called to be truth. This means that number one, we practically know and understand the truth. This means we go before the word because God's word is truth, right? And we look and we seek the Lord and we find the Lord in his word and we listen and we we listen to God and understand what he's saying. This means that we take time to always recalibrate to the truth of who God is. This moves us from a world that says, well, I'd like to think that God is this, or I'd like to think that this, you know, theology is this. And it really goes as, no, no, no. This is who God says he is. This is what God is doing. And there's an importance in us, not just knowing truth, but understanding truth. I love what Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 9, 23 says. He says, let, let the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let he who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord. I've been married, this is coming up, on my 25th year of marriage. When I married my wife, Cheryl, I knew her. I knew about what she was all about. I knew her likes, her dislikes. I knew, but after 25 years, I understand my wife. Yeah. There is a history. There's a history. Some days I woke up, what? Where did that come from? And then I had to draw near a little bit more and go, so that's why you were so upset, you know? I understand why she likes things now. When you spend time with Jesus, when you get into God's word and you open up your life, you start to know and understand. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean. When your kids understand why... Either not to do something or to do something, you get obedience. Obedience follows that. When you, as a follower of Jesus, understand why he's calling you into something, see, God would never lie to you. He always is the source and protector of truth. And truth builds trust, truth builds relationships. Lying sabotages, it destroys relationships. You know the hurt when you've been lied to? You know how that prevents you from trusting, sometimes even respecting the person who's lied to you? It means we practically know it. And then once we know it, that we live it, right? We want to personally live the truth. The truth isn't just something out there for our culture. It's not just something it's good to know and talk about at church. It's something we actually take and we go, no, no, I'm going to live this truth. I'm going to be a person who's authentic and genuine. Now, we're all going to be imperfect models of truth. We all are, because we're all going to mess up but we have someone who is a perfect model of that. And so therefore, as we spend time with Jesus and we live this truth, we've got to provide somewhat of a fluid thing. That means it's important that who I am in front of you is the same man that I I am when I'm with my family and no one can see us. So that there's not a disconnect. And we need to realize just as salt preserves truth from moral decay... That when you stand for the truth in your personal life, when you think the truth, when you speak the truth, when you act in truth, you're preventing things from dying. So here's just something to remind yourself of when you're about to lie, when you're about to shade the truth, when you're about to, you know, cloud or deceive someone, just think what dies if you lie? Yeah. I lie to my spouse, what dies? That relationship in a sense. I lied to my employer. What what happens? Respect dies. Trust is compromised. Something dies if you're salt and you lose your saltiness and you compromise with truth Something's gonna die. Something's gonna decay Realize it's not just an independent decision that you do to make a quick decision to get out of a problem It something dies. There's a cost to compromising truth So we are as followers of jesus. We want to live the truth and then we want to respectfully give the truth to others I like what Peter says, first Peter 318 He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. So the truth here is always to be given with gentleness and respect. And that flies right in the face of our culture. When we disagree with each other, look out. Have you read Facebook? I mean, yikes. And I wanted to relax this weekend. You know, we are, we are people who, when we disagree, we jump right into debate. We don't want to listen. We just want to say, this is who I am. This is the truth. Deal with it, you know? And we, we point that and, and it shuts down everything, right? And you can be really good at debate, but you can lose the heart. You can lose a relationship in the process. Marriage has taught me that. <laughs> Usually the negative side of that is that I can win. I go, yes, I am right. But why is she still crying? <laughs> I'm right. The rea- reality that we all have to come in is, is that we're to give the truth with respect. That we that we move more from move away from debate and into dialogue, where we're open to listening to understand. When I approach uh, someone who disagrees with me with a desire to at least understand, I don't have to agree with them, but if I can understand, here's what I'll usually find. This happened to me and I'm hurting. This happened to someone in my family. This This is happening right now at my place of work and I don't think it's fair. There's reasons, there's experience, there's hurt, there's loss, there's suffering. And they usually hold that position because of a personal experience. And you need to know that If you have any chance of shining the truth. And so the more I'm open to understand, it's interesting, the more doors God opens for me to speak truth. So think about that. As God has given you the truth, some of you are really good with truth. And God bless you. We as a church family need people of the truth, but you struggle with respecting people. That's where this second identity, and they go parallel. Jesus shared them one right after the other so that he could mix them so that we could understand who we really are in him. And that has to do with the second identity. We are light. We are light. Look at verse 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket put on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Let's talk about a few things of what Jesus is saying here. First of all, um, he says that light, when when light is in a room, it's not meant to be in hiding. It's not meant to be covered. It's not under something. No, it's to be lifted up, whether it's a city on a hill or a lamp in a house. Light it. For Pete's sakes, why? Because the world is dark and light exposes darkness. Light brings uh, something in. But what is light that Jesus is talking about? Well, he says, in the same way, let your light so shine that others might see your good works. So light here, and light doesn't always mean this in the scriptures, but here, when Jesus is saying it, it has to do with our good works. And I would even go one step further. It has to do with our love, our love and service for people. And we're called to shine the light of Christ in a dark world, the love of Christ in a dark world. This is really key to that we balance both of them. We're not just people who speak the truth or live the truth. We're people who act in love. You're the light of the world. And we're called to shine this love of Christ in a dark world. More than loving people for how it makes us feel. More than serving people for the accolades we get from our friends or peer group. We're called to love to reflect a greater love. Do you see the end game of what Jesus is calling me? Calling me and you too. He's calling us to love so that others might see our good works and then not go, wow, what an awesome lamp. <laughs> but that we might give glory to, that they might give glory to God, that we might reflect a greater love. We love because we've been loved. It's we're not the end goal of what that is a good person. No, the larger picture is that is a great God because that's what we, that's what it means to glorify God. It means people make him greater. People worship him. Let's dissect that because there's some key things I'd like us to remember. First one, how do we shine the love of Christ in a dark world? Well, number one, we're called to receive God's love by faith. As I mentioned, none of us are here because we've earned or deserve this or because we've measured up this week and lived perfect lives. We're here because we all need Jesus. But we're here called to receive the person and the work of Jesus by faith. I love how John just simplifies it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, his son, Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Our whole relationship with God is based on his love for us. His never give up enduring always faithful love to us. And he offers it to us through Jesus, who lived a life that was perfect, one we can't live, he did. Who died on a cross to pay our penalty for our sin before a holy and righteous God, who does not compromise the truth, by the way, and yet is loving. And who rose again from the dead on the third day, who defeats the power of sin and death in our lives by his work on the cross and resurrection. Receive that. Come to a point where you just say, God, I get it. It's not by my works. It's by but your gift through Christ. I trust in Christ and I receive your love into my life. And once you receive that love, then reflect that love. That's the second thing we're called to do with God's love. We reflect his love by serving others. We show that God's love's not just for me. I'm not just the chosen child, but it's that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That means we live and we love others too. I love what what uh, Paul says in Ephesians five two. He says, "Walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God." So love really defined by Paul there, and shown to us by Jesus, is this. You love to give. We love to get. That's how we enter into a lot of relationships. I'm lonely. I'm wondering if anyone cares for me. Oh, that person swiped right, and they're interested in me. Oh, What can I get from them? And we can play that game. Or, uh, man, I'm I'm a guy, man. I just... I want a girl, and we, we get from that girl how someone makes me feel safe, what a person has to offer me, what the company will do for me, what the bureaucracy will do for me. We enter in relationships for what we can get from them, and it totally destroys love. It moves more towards lust, and lust always kills love. And so we've got to be people who realize, no, I've got to follow Jesus in this. And if he's going to call me to be light, he is light. So I need to I need to love him. And the more I love him, the more I'll love others. That's why I always say and pray this for my kids. I pray that they will love Jesus more than anyone or anything with their first and with their best. Why? Because when we love Jesus with our first and our best, we love others the way he loves us then. Because he teaches us how to give up on ourselves in order to love him and others. And then finally, after we reflect, as we reflect, we relay God's love by sharing the gospel. Remember the end game of Jesus. Let your light so shine that others might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus is interested in worshipers of his Father. And the end goal of that is that we all not only receive him, but we trust in his work in our lives and we live lives of love. And that brings glory to God. That makes God greater. And so, as followers of Jesus, we want to be people like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 14. He says, The love of Christ compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all. And because of the work of Jesus, he died for all. All. That whoever believes in him will not perish. But have everlasting life. For Paul, the love of God was so vast, so huge, so awesome, deep, high, wide, and eternal that he had to share it with others. It was something he couldn't contain, he couldn't restrain the love of God. So we're salt, we're light. Everything that God calls us to live in with our identity, He is. He's the truth he's the love. When John introduces Jesus, he says that he's from the Father, full of truth and grace, truth and love. As a follower of Jesus, that's the identity you and I have been given. Aren't you thankful it has nothing to do with your background? Has nothing to do with how much you make? It has nothing to do with which which social circle, what gender, what race you are. It's all that we've been brought in. We were once far away, but we've been brought in to be salt and light. Salt in a decaying world, light in a dark world. The world needs it. The world needs it. Don't hide who you are. I talked to someone recently who said, I love coming to fellowship because I can hide there. And there was something in my stomach that just started gurgling. And it wasn't, I didn't eat anything bad. It was what they said. By the way, don't tell me that anymore, okay? Because that's not, if you're hiding here, how in the world are you going to shine out there? There's no way. This is the safest place to shine, right? And if we aren't doing it in here, we aren't loving each other in here, if we aren't speaking the truth to each other in love here, how in the world will we ever do it out there? So when we hide, we quit following Jesus. So we never meant to be hidden. And I've learned that ever since I was three years old. You remember the song? This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. It's the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. What was it? No, that's where as a three-year-old, I just went, no, okay? That's what I loved about that song. I could say no, and no one said stop it. (sighs) Don't let Satan it out. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. That's the picture we're given. And that's when we get together. That's, I mean, it doesn't get any more complicated than three years old. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let me share a story with you about someone I believe really marked this out for us. His name was David Livingston, born 1813, died 1873. Born in Scotland, educated at Glasgow University with uh, pursuing a medical degree. And while he was in medical school there, he um, came across a missionary who was home on furlough from Africa. That missionary's name was Robert Moffat. And he shared Moffat shared a vision for Africa with Livingston that from the moment he shared it with him, it haunted him. And here's what he said to him. He said, I've sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary had ever been. I don't know if you've ever been in a third world country that was closed to the gospel, but I've been in two different places in my travels, Where as I look over, and in third world country, they burn their trash. There's just smoke. So people are living there, but they don't have Jesus. And he realized, as he looked around Scotland, and he looked around England, how many people had the gospel there. And he decided to go and be salt and light to Africa. A pioneer, salt and light. So he sets out for Africa in 1841. And here was his, it was a mission that was threefold. Listen to this mission, man. It just gets me going. He says, I am going to evangelize the native races to explore the undiscovered secrets of Africa and to abolish the desolating slave trade. (laughs) It kind of goes, okay, there's my mission for my life. And here's Livingston's vision. He's kind of showing us, right? We need to have a vision. That if we put it in our lives, only God could do this, right? We need the only God could do this kind of mission. Rather things that, oh, I can do that. that's measurable and predictable. Only God and slave trading. I mean, slave in the slavery in the 18, early 1800s. He went out, he saw the social injustice of it, he saw how it grieved the heart of God, and he wanted to go and cut it off at the root, right where the Africans were being captured by slave traders and exported all around the world and exploited in slavery. And so he heads out. And for the next 30 years, he travels. He travels. And by the way, as he head out, headed out, this is one of his parting words. He says, I am prepared to go anywhere, provided it is forward. This is how I begin every vacation. (laughs) And I always get lost. What he's saying is, I'm not going backwards. I am going to go forward with Christ. I'm going to be salt. I'm going to be light. Truth and grace of God. And so he took the truth that God had given him through medical school and how to heal people uh, far beyond the technology of the Africans. And he went there. And for the next 30 years, he, he served in Africa. He traveled over 29,000 miles in Africa, charting, exploring, befriending native Africans, giving medical attention to those who were sick in their tribes, fighting slave traders, purchasing slaves back from tra- as traders and sending them free sharing the gospel on one occasion he went and a town was being plagued by lion attacks so he took his gun he shot a lion went up to the lion the lion sprung on him because he was wounded and he grabbed his left arm and he just gnarled it and look at his left arm there from that lion attack he, he just laid limp he couldn't use his left hand He battled sickness and starvation, dysentery, malaria, internal bleeding, which would eventually take his life at age 60. But it wasn't just his health challenges that he dealt with. He also had disunity and mutiny on his team. He was fired from his job with the London Missionary Society. And at age 49, after 18 years, his wife dies of a sickness and he buries her in, in Africa. He himself, he gets lost in Africa for over two years until the money was raised by the New York Herald who sent J.G. Bennett, a reporter, who searched and found him, which is where we get that phrase, Dr. Livingston, I presume. <laughs> yeah, that was his first words when he found him after being lost for two years. On May 1st, 1873, Livingston dies. He had internal bleeding. Uh, People listened, uh, heard a weird noise out of his hut and found him dead on the floor. His faithful servant and friend Susie removed his heart and buried it in Africa because they wanted his heart, his passion for their land. And then he took his body And he filled it with salt. Why? Because salt is a preservative, right? And he wrapped it in sailcloth, and he sent it back to London. The whole process and the journey took almost a year. He died May 1st of 1873. His body arrives in London April 15th, 1874, and they give him a hero's welcome. And they bury him in a place of kings, Westminster Abbey. Buried him right in the floor there. When I traveled several years ago to London, I went to Westminster Abbey and there on the floor was the, was the, the tomb of David Livingston. His last entry into his journal, the day before he died, he said this, all I can add in my solitude is, may heaven's rich blessing come down on everyone, American, English or Turk, who will help heal this open sore of the world. He saw a dark and decaying world and lived in the identity Jesus called him to be. Salt, truth, light, love. We may not have as grand a vision as Livingston, but we have the same identity given to us by the same Jesus who lived, died, and rose again for us. We're called to be truth. Receive it. Live it. Give it. You have love. Respond to the love of God through faith. Reflect the love of God by serving others in need. And, and relay it by sharing the gospel. Think about this. All the identities you've been given from the world, and it's, it's kind of just like a buffet out there of identities. What if we all lived in the identity Jesus just gave us? Salt and light, truth and love. And we all, once we've been salted in here and loved in here, went out and loved the world in the same way. Think about the stories. Think about the Livingston stories that could happen in Topeka and around the world. Your salt, your light. It's not any more complicated than that. It's already who Jesus sees you as. Live in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today that just reminds us the simple truth. We are salt, we're light. Help us, Lord, to preserve the truth Your truth in a world that is decaying. Help us, Lord, to shine your light, the love of Christ in a dark world. However you're going to do that, Lord, begin with me. Begin with each person in here as you're going to scatter us all around this city in just a few minutes. Lord, help us never to forget. Help us to walk in our God-given identity. We're salt. We're light that others might see our good works and glorify you. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.